0: Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 169th video cast, 159th podcast for the week ending January 12th, 2023. Welcome, welcome, welcome! Off to a monster start this year. Very, very excited. So we'll quickly do the media, then get right down to it. First off, I'd like to thank uh Fitria Agrani uh, and Sasa for having me on CNBC Indonesia Closing Bell. On Friday, all about emerging markets. We'll get into that later. Then I'd like to thank Taylor Clothier and Sydney Freed for having me on Yahoo Finance yesterday with uh with Dave Briggs and with Shauna Smith. That was a great interview, definitely check that out. Uh really covers everything from US to emerging markets. And then I want to thank Kristen Scholler, Ali Thompson, for having me on Cheddar on Monday uh, to discuss US markets. Great time with that one. And then want to thank Lydia Moynihan and Rich Calder for having me in their New York Post article. My favorite, uh, business, my my favorite newspaper, uh, my favorite business newspaper is Barron's, I will say that. But, uh, so happy to be in the New York Post. Uh, Benzinga want to thank Zoltan Saranyi and Adam Eckhart for having me in their article today about inflation and the Fed. Want to thank Ellen Chang for having me in the street.com. And finally, want to thank Anuran Mitra for having me in his article on Seeking Alpha with uh with regard to the inflation report this morning. Uh wanna thank John Jay. I don't know if he wanted his last name said, so uh for sending me over this deck from JP Morgan uh about the mosaic. We're gonna cover a few things here. Uh highlighted four pages. Um okay. So first and foremost, this is consumer sentiment and subsequent 12-month uh, S&P returns. Uh, as you can see here, when you get sentiment as low as we got it in December, um, good things happen. And uh, in the case, the last two cases, it got this low. You had uh, 15.4% in the next 12 months. That was in uh, o- August of 2011. Then November 2008, you had plus 22% the next 12 months. Then the last time you got this close was October 1990. You were plus 29% in the next 12 months. And then this is perfect. May 1980, uh, uh the Volcker time, you were plus 20%. And February 1975, you were plus 22% the next 12 months. So here we are again. Uh We got uh, really low just like we did in 1980 and we're on our way. Moving along to page 47 wanted to cover this um now this we've discussed we've discussed extensively in the case of talking about emerging markets um this right here is comparing u.s equities to uh the EFA index which is europe australasia and middle east uh, and it shows the cyclical back and forth that we dis- have discussed so many times with, as it relates to emerging markets and how it moves in cycles where for years at a time, U.S. outperforms and then following that, um, non-U.S., ex-U.S. basically outperforms. And it goes every two to four years. Uh, you saw massive outperformance in the U.S. from 83 to 87. And then from 89 to 93, you saw ex-U.S., then from '95 to 2000, you saw U.S. Then from 2000 to two, 2002 to 2007, which we talk about all the time in the context of emerging markets, uh, massive outperformance. And then the last ten years, it's all been U.S. because of cheap money. Uh, and we think that's changing. You're starting starting to see it roll over and big outperformance outside the U.S. We're seeing it in China, and uh, and it's very very exciting to see. Next page shows price to earnings discount versus the U.S. You're two standard deviations below the norm for XUS us equities, uh, and that creates the relative bargain, which is why we have been uh, hunting in the U.K. Uh, people are more pessimistic about the U.K. than anywhere else. Uh, we initiated one position last year, uh, which we briefly mentioned in the podcast. But in the last few days, we've initiated another uh, position that is a um, very, very... Uh, sizable starter position we haven't completed all of our research but we wanted to get exposure because there was a catalyst and that catalyst played out to today so for those of you who like to do work and research you can uh just look for the stock in the UK that's up uh just about 21% for the day uh and that'll give you a clue and clients know very very well <laughs> which one it is so very excited about that and more work to do before we really size in uh, anything like, uh, Cooper standard sizing, but, uh, but very, very nice contributor, uh, to a monster monster, probably best start ever in career, um, uh, couple of weeks. So, um, okay. Moving right along page 61, let's get here. We got so much to cover today. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is the asset class mosaic that we've gone through many times. Uh, this is the most recent updated one with end of year numbers. And what we've always said is it's very hard to see asset classes at the bottom not eventually get to the top in relatively short order, particularly when it relates to emerging markets it was the bottom in 08, top in two, 2009, uh, end 2010, bottom in 11, uh, near the top in 2012, uh, bottom in 2013 made it all the way back up to the top just kept climbing and climbing back up to the number one spot in 2017 2018 back to the bottom by 2020 it climbed all the way to the top second second level uh and so on and so forth so uh the last 2 years it's had um uh, been near the bottom performance we believe it's going to be the top and when we talk emerging markets we're basically saying China China is 40% Brazil is only 5%. We have a couple placeholder positions, tiny positions, uh, like literally de minimis positions, just to keep an eye on it. Because when they start moving, uh, then we can start to pay attention to the market. I'm not so concerned about Lula. I mean, I I, I do disagree with all pretty much anything he does. But uh, in the past, you've had... Situations where you've done okay uh, underneath him. It's not dissimilar to Xi Jinping. I mean, I could ask for you know, different options, but uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. So there will be opportunity all around. But uh, but China has been our focus. That's where all our money is, and that's all you need to know. So um, in in terms of outside the U.S. and then U.K. and um, uh, very very tiny to uh, to see what's going to happen with uh, Brazil, but. Um, you know, I'm, I'm less sanguine on Brazil and India in, in the short term. It's all China right now for us. Um Okay, so, and then also we talked about REITs, you know, 2020, bottom of the pack, 2021, top of the pack, um, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. you know, down here, 2008, bottom of the pack. By 2009, it was closed, 2010, 11, 12, top of the pack. Uh, same story over and over the rotation. So just, just more updated data. We've covered that before. Our top three positions, uh, now, now, um, with the uh, amount of appreciation in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, by size, this is becoming a huge position for us now up 141% in the last, um, since December 19th, uh, and then another 10% on top of that. So about 150% gain let's see 550 yeah it's getting close to uh it yeah it probably probably be about 200% in a few days but uh so this is material for us because it started as a 13% position and you know it's going to be probably 50% of the portfolio before long um and uh and just getting started in the ter- in the scheme of i think the refinancing finishing will take it to a certain level where it will plateau for a while while uh, it waits for earnings to catch up over the next couple of years, and and we've gone into our base case uh, many times, we think on a normalized basis, as cars get back up to 2017 levels, uh, that may take two or three years. This this business can earn you know five, six, seven dollars plus. The margins are higher on the EV because they have more parts and higher margins. Maybe even more than seven, eight dollars. Historically, it's traded when it's earning as low as ten times. Uh, and as high as 20 times. So it shows there's a, there's a lot of upside here. Uh, and as exciting as it is here, and there'll be fits and starts along the way, but as exciting as this has been, uh, the game is, is not even starting, even if we, uh, took a breather after the, the, you know, kind of last move off the, the financing in the short term. Baba, again, same story, uh, now second largest, uh, and, um, that one's up 95% in the last two months uh so we're very very excited about that this isn't even begun um again there'll be fits and starts and breathers along the way but uh, this is a long-term play and nothing's changed since our original thesis when we laid out the sum of the parts between the um uh cloud between ant financial between the e-commerce we talked about some of the um the the costco of china in recent weeks uh so we won't belabor that but uh these things are on the move and then uh, biotech. So thanks to Shadow over here on Twitter who uh, tagged me. And he said, look what's happening with biotech. It's now breaking out. So we've had this long sideways grind for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And now it's breaking out. You had the approval of that uh, Alzheimer's thing. You had the healthcare conference this week. And now people are figuring out these are entirely too cheap. And um, big farmers got to buy their growth. They've got the cash. They don't have the growth. They have the patent cliffs. And the game is on. So these theses, these, you know, some of them work, you know, play out overnight, like Cooper Standard to be up 100, uh, five to, it's almost 200%. Our basis is 550 across accounts. So, uh, in six months, and then some of them take, you know, six months, some of them take two years, but they all work out eventually. When you do your work and you know what you own, uh, there might be exogenous things that are outside of your control, but sooner or later that intrinsic value is realized. Uh, and, um, and in these cases, despite the enormous moves in the last few weeks, uh, they're, they're literally both just beginning. Um, and biotech is, is just starting. I mean, it bottomed in May, so, you know, kudos, but it's, it's just hasn't even begun. So we, we covered the 2016 to 2018 analog in a hiking cycle. Uh, we covered the, uh, uh, depressed valuations relative to, uh, 30, 40 years of history, cash on balance sheets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The deal flow, the uh, drug approval flow, uh, the game is on. And when that third one, when we get firing on all three cylinders, I mean, and, and plus now we've got the, this UK action, uh, we've never, I mean, the, the last 12 days has been like unbelievable. I've never seen that. I mean, so, um, uh, grateful for that. But we said that was going to happen, if you recall, in November and December when it was darkest. We said, we're setting up for the best year that we've ever had, and, and it's going to happen uh, in spades this year. So uh, we've already seen the first uh, chapter, but there are going to be many, many more. Uh, JP Morgan Retail Traders unloaded $3.1 billion in assets. This is from Seth Golden, by the way, uh, in the past week. This is marked the third worst week net selling in history. This was last week, by the way, right before the huge run. Uh, And that was the, I guess, capitulation that everyone was looking for. But uh, massive, massive selling at the exact wrong time. No surprise there. And then he follows on, Seth follows on with uh, the commitment of traders, uh, futures uh, uh, trader sentiment uh, and least bullish retail investors. And you see it down here, the same level at every bottom. Uh, You get this level of pessimism. This stuff repeats over and over and over. But everyone gets caught up in the noise and the emotion. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, the, the many are un, not fortunate to listen to the video cast more and more are, but, uh, uh, and kind of separate the noise from the data, but, uh, uh, kudos to you for tuning in. We're very grateful for that. And, uh, and know that, uh, from the feedback, you're, you're experiencing a lot of value. So, uh, JP Morgan backed off. If you remember, we covered when he said there's going to be an economic hurricane. Uh, well, now he's backed off. I guess it's become a tropical storm. He must have miscalculated. Uh, last week, we did a lot, a lot of um, ratio charts uh, comparing the S&P to uh, different sectors, and Seth put out a couple good ones this week on top of that theme. This is tech to the S&P 500, and he shows all these instances where it gets this low and then what happens to tech outperformance in the subsequent uh, months and i think we're set up perfectly we just double bottomed at that level and no one wants tech and and watch what happens uh, and all, all you need to do is look at the 10-year yield. And by the way, I was on Yahoo and I said this, you know, everyone says you can't buy tech because the Fed funds rate's going above 5%. Well, guess what? The biggest tech run in history was 95 to 1999 after it got sold off in 94 in a tightening cycle. And the Fed funds rate for those four years was not only 6.5%, but it stayed at 6.5% throughout the whole move. So everyone that says rates go up, you, you know, multiples must come down, uh, you know, that's true intuitively, but you have to understand the supply and demand for the security from institutions, uh, and what's going on, uh, uh outside of the isolation of one factor that you're taking into a uh, data input. Uh, this is uh, consumer discretionary to consumer staples. If you remember, we went over which sectors were going to have the highest earnings growth that no one wanted to touch. It was communication services, consumer discretionary. You couldn't give them away in the fall. And now they too are, are making the same type of bottom relative to staples. staples are defensive discretionary are risk on. And you can see when they get this oversold on a ratio basis, they tend to have monster extended multi-year runs. And that's what we're seeing right now. And that's why, uh, uh, to some extent, uh, Amazon is getting hit because not only hit in a good way up, uh, because, um, uh, not only are they communication services, they're also consumer discretionary with the e-commerce business uh from a practical standpoint then you have semiconductors which you literally can't give away while everyone was waiting for taiwan to uh, china to bomb taiwan buffett was in buying four billion dollars a taiwan semiconductor and laughing all the way to the bank well now you see this ratio chart of uh semiconductors to the s p And they're starting, they've they've formed a bottom and they're going to start to outperform. And no one is expecting it. Why? Because they say everything was bought during the pandemic. No one wants consumer electronics. Well, guess what? They want cars like it's going out of style. Average car, 13.1 years. You know the thesis from Cooper Standard. Used cars are going to hell. New cars are in more demand than ever before. And that's going to continue. Think F-150s. Think $750 billion coming down the pike with the, uh um uh infrastructure package uh that was already approved and it's just hitting then uh, Marcel Munch who I've been on his great podcast many times about China uh he posted this chart this is this was our thesis all last year we said that the dollar was going to roll over we showed you the commitments of traders took a few extra months it finally rolled over and now he's showing it's breaking this trend line which I don't pay a lot of attention to but it looks nice and uh uh you know it it gives you a visual of just how far it's moved when emerging markets, uh, fly is because the dollar was strong and then it starts to weaken, like in 2002 to 2007, dollar weakened, emerging markets up 480%, 2009 to 2011, dollar weakened, emerging markets up 195%, uh, 2016 to 18, dollar weakened up 98%, and, uh, 2020 to 21, dollar weakened, and uh, emerging markets were up 95%. So same thing's happening right now. This is Sumit, who's been following us for two years. He caught the uh, Alibaba bug, I guess, uh, sometime uh, mid-last year, and he's been posting great stuff ever since. Uh, this is the um, – uh, and you may remember Sumit, by the way, from uh, many of his uh, questions during periods of concern with Alibaba, was very, very worried, and uh, he learned to stick it through, and now he's making coins. So congratulations on that. Um And he posted this. East China's Zhejiang province will support high quality development of platform economy, make targeted, supportive policy and establish professional service mechanisms, said Provincial Governor Wang Hao in his government work report. Zhejiang will encourage platform companies to step up research and applications of frontier technologies and support the companies to lead development, create jobs and compete. Uh also Morgan uh, Sumit put out Morgan Stanley's quant strategy showed US-based money managers have yet to add to their China equity positions even after Xi Jinping's pivots what will happen to Chinese equities when US uh money managers start adding to their China equity positions you can see just how underweight the US managers are relative to the uh non-US managers as it relates to XUS uh, and emerging markets dramatically underweight, which is effectively China. So this is good data from Morgan Stanley via Sumit. Then he put out a thing on uh, Ant Group. Just to put this in context, because I know I've been talking about it, but we haven't spent a lot of time because the IPO is probably a year plus off, and there's zero credit for it in the stock at present. Um, they process 17 trillion yuan via Alipay versus uh, Visa plus MasterCard Plus American Express processed 14.6 trillion in the same period in 2020. So, uh, it just goes to show the difference in China that Alipay, i.e. and Financial, which you own a third of as a shareholder of Alibaba is bigger than all three combined by almost, you know, 18, 17, 18% round numbers. Uh, they issued 290 billion in, uh, U.S. Oh, wait a second. This is in dollars. $17 trillion processed via Alipay versus Visa, MasterCard and American Express did $14.6 trillion in 2020. I thought that was in yuan. That's, that's huge. Um, also they issued $290 billion, a third of a trillion in consumer loans in 2021. Biggest money market fund with $173 billion AUM and 107 million healthcare plan customers. This is big. Uh, so that's the asset management with 173 building, the lending, the, uh, 17 trillion of payments and the 107 million people in Ants mutual aid healthcare plan. So there's a lot to this business. It's only going to grow bigger, the big get bigger. And this, you can see in the, um, payments volume, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and how they compete. So, uh, so great data. Uh, relayed by Sumit. And then he also talked about Morgan Stanley. If you remember, Morgan Stanley was the one with the underweight, the uh, uninvestable in the hole. Now Morgan Stanley's lifted China to overweight from an equal weight position. And uh, we're at the, by the way, they said they had an equal weight since January 2021. That's BS in February 2020. Wait february 2022 they said uninvestable and and uh so and then they changed back or something like when it bounced or whatever but it's just emotions uh we quote we are at the beginning of a multi quarter recovery in earnings revisions and valuations ms suggests further increasing exposure to reopening beneficiaries such as consumer names like baba and pin duo duo uh the brokerage lifted china to overweight from equal weight it raised its 2023 targets uh multi-quarter recovery consumer names blah 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 so you get the story opinion follows trend we've talked about this the whole time uh top 20 china hong kong holdings among long only emerging market active managers as of uh 1231 2022 so just a couple weeks ago underweight fund managers find themselves chasing this rally in chinese equities they were the most underweight 10 cent followed by Alibaba. So now they've got to chase and choke on as much stock as, uh, as they can. And, um, and that's that. I, unfortunately, we don't have any to give them. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to them in a, in a couple hundred points, but for now, uh, let them choke on someone else's stock and God bless. They missed the first hundred percent, but, uh, they can ride the next 200 points. Next, um, this is from China investors. Uh, reread the Ant Group IPO prospectus from October 2020 when they were going to go public. They're now going to go public again because uh, Jack Ma ceded voting control. So then there's usually a year delay. But the key is the game is on. They were able to go out and raise money in, in public markets uh, to expand and double their capital base, which is pretty exciting. Um, One billion users, by the way, on um, Alipay app. Uh, that's part of Ant Financial, 1 billion with a B. Um, 711 million monthly active users, 2000 financial partner financial institutions. Um, 118 trillion RMB digital payments in mainland China, 4 trillion, uh, investment tech AUM, 80 million Alipay app monthly active merchants. 80 million merchants. That's mind-boggling. It's almost a third. It would be like a third of Americans having a business and being on the same, uh, you know, PayPal or something like that. Like vir- vir- virtually zero competition. It's it's mind-boggling. 200 countries and regions with online payment services. Uh, 729 million on the Alipay app. Uh, consumer credit. What. And, uh, the healthcare thing that they were talking about. Then they show the growth of the business. They've been around since 2004. So this is not a startup. This is the hegemon in the payments business in the region. Uh, it shows how they've simplified the ownership structure. Uh, this is the Alipay app. You can see here you can do more than just pay your stuff. You can, um, movies, hotel, credit card payments, uh, sports transfer funds etc 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 and that's the story moving right along uh we covered that jack ma gave controls and now they can go public there's a delay but remember they put the uh uh, head of the former head of the hong kong exchange on the board of ant a few months ago and we said that was the tell well now we know why china reopens to the world as international travel restrictions end uh alibaba's grocery chain fresh shippo which we've talked about records first profitability and key segment eyes expansion in 2023. They've got about 300 units. They do charge a membership fee. That's an important flywheel in business models that we look at another hint, by the way, uh, where the uh, retailer, whether in this case, it's uh, a stores or online like Amazon prime, like Costco, they basically get big enough where they can offer the lowest prices. They, Cut out the margins so they knock out all small competition and then what they do is they charge a membership fee for that right to buy goods at the lowest cost and that membership fee goes straight to the bottom line and that retains their moat because once someone buys the membership fee and they know they're getting the lowest prices they continue to shop there and they don't even look anywhere else or clip coupons or whatever else they do so um fda approves ESI and biogen's new alzheimer's therapy that's why you're starting to see some bid to biotech finally uh, new Chinese mRNA vaccine shows positive early results. OK, they've all got, they got herd immunity by now. Anyway, a little too late on that. China stock traders bet consumption will supercharge the 2023 rally. Uh, this is what we said all uh, for months, and now it's playing out. So you can see it here. Uh, consumption is sure to surge going forward at the forefront of a COVID recovery boost helped by price hikes uh and stifled demand comes roaring back while confidence and employment pick up yada 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 we know this we knew it was coming you guys were ahead of the game uh many months before china trading activity picks up as covid wave eases and uh and it's just off to the races so moving right along uh okay genetics alzheimer's and ai why 2023 could be the year for biotech stocks we agree goes into this this is investors daily you can read that at your late leisure i thought this was kind of funny oh okay this one's not funny there was another article i didn't include that said hong kong is going to be the top property investment destination in 2023 i mean what a difference a week makes right i mean like three weeks ago everyone was getting the hell out of hong kong now everyone's coming back uh hong kong stocks log best start to a year since 1999 as alibaba tencent uh long for fuel gains so best start to a year since 1999 uh guys just jog your memory remember i put out that chart hong kong price to book whenever it gets below one these good things happen well sure enough a few months later here we are boom it happens history doesn't rhyme but it excuse me it doesn't repeat but it does rhyme over and over and over and you just have to be patient have the stomach know what you own and the rewards come China may ease the three red lines, property rules and big shifts. So just more and more of this stuff. Asia stocks enter bull market as China rally extends. Could you imagine this headline just two months ago? I mean, remember I was on, I covered last week, I was on CNBC Asia and Will was laughing. He's like, you still buying Baba laughing? And I was like, yeah, we love it more than ever. And uh sure enough, here we are. So I can't wait to go back on that. Uh, my guess is Will is a smart guy. He probably bought some with me. And, uh, is making some coins. So Alibaba leads China tech gains as regulatory woes ease further. Uh, so that was that. Alibaba stock is new top pick at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, guys. Literally, like four weeks ago, people were laughing at Alibaba. Now it's the top pick at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. So there you go. Chinese stocks have been on a tear. Morgan Stanley says it's turning even more bullish on China, slowly but surely. Wait till it's at 200. They'll really, they'll really get bullish. And when it's at 300, they'll be hardly able to contain themselves. And there'll be other people who you know were extremely negative in the hole that all of a sudden, all their noise about VIE structure and delisting and communism and all this stuff which has been the same stuff for the last 20 years, uh, is gonna go out the window. And at 300 bucks, they will be jumping up and down, cheering by the breakout, by the breakout, and we will be laying off stock like it's nobody's business and starting to look at opportunities in India. Uh, Ant Group won't be squashed after all. Surprise, surprise uh shanghai targets 5.5 percent consumption led gdp growth for 2023 as it looks to recover ground loss to covid lockdown so they're shifting gears historically they did infrastructure now they want consumption they want to be self-contained and who's the toll taker alibaba china jet fuel demand set to soar ahead of lunar new year um ah here's one for cooper standard used car prices post Oh, this is it. Yeah. The used car prices post biggest drop ever as new luxury car sales. Boom. New luxury car sales. Boom. How's that happening in the middle of a quote unquote recession? Exactly how I said it would happen. The fleet is old. People have cash. Dealers are now offering incentives. The story is going to continue. Used cars are going to bite the dust. In 2023, new cars are going to boom. Jamie Dimon is changing his tune about an economic hurricane Opinion follows trend. Amazing what price does to sentiment. Moving along, U.S. inflation cools again, putting Fed on track to downshift. Shocker. Uh, There we go. Friends in Low Places stock market and sentiment results. I Got Friends in Low Places was a song recorded by Garth Brooks in 1990. And I think we're changing that to Friends with Low Estimates and Low Expectations. Uh, as, uh, Dave Briggs said on Yahoo, the key to happiness is low expectations. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, expectations couldn't be any lower going into, uh, earnings season, which starts tomorrow. I don't expect miracles from the bank. I think their trading will be up. I think they did get some deals done in, in Q4, but not a lot like Cooper basically got done. I think there are some other workouts that got done. Uh, so, you know, but people are expecting nothing. So that's a good, uh, context. Um, but I find it curious that earnings estimates for Q4 earnings season are for the top 500 publicly traded companies is negative 4.1%. But at the same time, if you look at Atlanta Fed's GDP Now tracking tool, it's saying GDP for that same period, Q4, came in at plus 4.1%. So you got the top 500 public companies with negative 4% earnings growth while the economy grew 4% positive. Uh, unlikely one of those is going to be wrong my bet is corporate earnings probably a little bit of both but corporate earnings are way too low that sets the stage for positive beats probably better than expected guidance where with expectations so low uh, we're going to have some positive surprises moving forward so uh, we covered the Yahoo Finance check that out there's a lot of detail in these interviews so there wasn't really a lot more to write on you should probably just read these and uh, and you'll need know everything you need to know about what we're thinking about emerging markets about um, uh, U.S. markets and about investment ideas moving forward. Uh, Money supply, this just makes things black and white. Uh, While U.S. M2 money supply is collapsing, you can see it year on year, China M2 money supply has been growing at double digits for over half a year. Now that they've finally reopened the economy and let people out of captivity – the effect of this easy policy will start to be seen in the economic and company data in coming months on a lagged basis. That's the earnings recovery that they're talking about, consumption-led growth, etc., etc., etc. Where do you want to place the bulk of your bets? In the U.S., where money supply is contracting, or in China, where it's expanding and the game is back on? Uh, you know our answer on that. And then in the U.S., we're in very discrete, special situations uh, that are non-correlated. So... Um, uh sentiment is still bearish, that's good. That's fuel for a little follow-through on this rally. Um on the fear and greed, it's neutral. And on the um, money manager positioning, it got down below 40%. So they'll have to chase now after underperforming last year. Now they're way below the benchmark this year, and um and that gives us further fuel. Here was the inflation data from this morning, 6.5 top line. But if you annualize the monthly. Uh, three month annualized, uh, puts us at 0.0% annualized. And if you annualize the three months, last three months on core, it puts you at 2.2% annualized, uh, which is right at the Fed's mark where they want to be. So, um, as I said on the Yahoo interview, which is very important to listen to, uh, they're going to talk hawkish until they don't. They're not going to send you out an invitation in the mail saying in three weeks or in 12 weeks, we're going to pause. Be sure you buy equities ahead of time. They're going to talk hawkish until the last minute, and then they're going to switch on the dime and say something along the lines of may shift tactics, and you won't be able to catch it. And then all the bears that were uh selling in the hole are now, you know, once it breaks out, are going to be buying at the top. And then we'll have a, a on the quote unquote breakout, and then we'll probably have a period of six months of sideways consolidation to knock them out um so um okay moving right along so this was uh fuel oil was down big uh uh gasoline energy um all items so yeah we were by the way negative 0.1 percent month on month so uh but we had i think uh, positive. So if you annualize the last three months, you get to zero uh, for the year on headline and uh, 2.2 on core. Um, the, the biggest contributors to the drop, as we've been saying, used cars and trucks, some energy, um, commodities, uh, food wasn't that bad actually. And um, you see, you know, used cars and trucks is a big one. Gasoline is a big one year on year. And uh, all these things are starting to come in uh now even commodities uh across the board uh earnings uh this is the arc top arc um, investment fund top 30 weights uh they have uh they were negative 30 dot 60 days ago the cumulative loss for her top 30 holdings was neg- uh for 2023 was negative 32 dollars and 73 cents now it's negative 33 dollars um uh oil servicer companies uh for 2023 their earnings power has gone up 3.25 percent in the last 60 days uh, as far as economic data uh we had uh that was the china money supply growth which we said Uh, here was the continuing claims were a little better than expected. So, you know, there is some heat in the economy. Initial jobless claims were a little better than expected, but you can see here, um, uh, the CPI headline CPI was negative point, uh, negative one tenth of a percent month on month, uh, which is a big deal. And, uh, headline keeps dropping. And just to give you a visual of the headline so you can have some context. Uh, You can see that peak in June, reported July, and then it's just been straight down ever since. And that's going to persist. Next, uh, earnings. They've been at 230 for like three or four months. So that's where they are for 2023. Um, They're holding in there. We think that uh, people are underestimating the impact of China now setting their GDP at 5%, they're going to hit it because they're actually open for business and they've been stimulating in the background nonstop since March, which we've covered, uh, but it didn't matter until they opened the doors a few weeks ago and wait till you see the lagged effect of that, Um and uh, the dollar falling should add 5 to 8% uh, improvement. Dollar falling 10% should add 5 to 8% improvement to S&P earnings moving forward, which is really not in anyone's models. So we've got a lot of Ask Me Anything questions. We're going to get right to it. And first and foremost, uh, by the way, I'll be on CGTN America tonight at uh, 7 p.m. if you want to tune in for that with Phil Yin. Um, okay, this is from Bryce. Schoenfelder, hi Tom, could you touch on your mindset strategy for peeling off positions? I find myself struggling to hold on this half of the trade For as an example. Um, Bob has come off the lows. I find myself considering begin peeling off near current levels uh, despite still believing the true value is much higher. Seems like an emotional flaw that I was hoping you could comment on. Uh it's not an emotional flaw, it's a work flaw. So if you had done the if you by the way, this is a great question. A lot of people are going to relate to this. So let me explain why you would have the the view uh of selling at these levels. One, it's have a big run, so it's probably gonna consolidate and it's probably gonna pull back five or ten percent or whatever. Uh but uh y- You don't want to be out of it because then it's going to run away from you and then you're going to chase up. Then it's going to pull back and it's just going to chop you up and it's going to go up 200% and you're going to make 20% if you're lucky. Um, Number two, um, how many of the annual reports have you read? That's number one. How many of the conference calls have you listened to? That's number two. How many of the bearish uh, theses have you read to understand holes in your bullish case? Uh, How many suppliers have you talked to how many competitors have you talked to uh how much work have you done to know uh economic analysis of the financials to know the sum of the parts analysis or the discounted cash flow on a normalized basis and if the answer is none then you probably should sell because you don't know what you own and then you're just guessing based on um expert bias which is uh which is deadly i think that you know if you're just following someone blindly into a stock you know um (laughs) uh (laughs) (laughs) I put out a tweet from Peter Lynch this week, and he was talking about why people do so poorly in stocks that are not professionals. And, you know, when they buy a new refrigerator, they read consumer reports and they ask their friends and family and they ask, you know, go to three different stores and get a price. When they plan a vacation, they view all these reviews and they talk to their friends and family and a travel agent and people who have been there and they really do due diligence and they make calls and they look at prices uh, then they go home and they hear a tip on a bus and they put 50% of their life savings in it before they get home. <laughs> and that's why they don't make any money. Because they don't know what they own. They haven't done any research. And, um, and I think that's the number one reason why you would can even consider selling at these levels, uh, at such a discount to intrinsic value. Because you just haven't done the work to make yourself comfortable. And if you're just following someone blindly, you should just be out of the stock. Um, uh, it's, it's uh, generally good advice. So, um just you know start with reading you know maybe get out and read one full annual report and then read another and then listen to a few conference calls and then try to do an analysis of what you think the business is worth then look at the earnings power and trajectory and the revenue growth and the earnings growth and the cash flow growth and the return on capital over the last 10 years and see if you think this was a temporary impairment or a permanent impairment and and if it was temporary, then what does that trend line look like five years out, and what would the, the business be worth at peak and trough multiples? And then you'll get more confidence to hold through with things. Um, all right. This might help some young people. David says... Hi hey, Tom, really appreciate the work you put into your podcast. Definitely find it really helpful and high quality content. I spent the last three years in life sciences, investment, banking, currently trying to break into public equity shop focused on biotech life sciences. I studied biochemistry, molecular bio, biology in college and received a master's in biotech from Georgetown University. I recently interviewed a few top multi-strap funds uh, for a spot on their therapeutic teams and have gotten feedback in my interviews that I don't sound passionate enough about the space or the stock market. Uh, do you have any advice on how to speak to people about public equities that I can convey interest without trying to flatter yourself with technical buzzwords? Um, I just listened to the 1229 episode where you said greats like Munger and Buffett don't try to be flashy when talking about businesses when everyone else is trying to sound smart. Um, that's not exactly what I said, but I'll clarify. Uh, I'm not sure how much to read into that feedback, but I'm looking to break into a very niche space in a challenging market environment and thought you might have good perspective uh, thanks again for all your work, uh, with the podcast. And I look forward to the next episode regards, David. Uh, so it's a good question. Uh, number one, maybe you're not passionate about it. Maybe you're just doing it for the money. So maybe they can see through it. Uh, and, uh, I wouldn't want to hire someone like that either. Uh, number two, uh, but if that's not the case and you're just kind of a low key person, I'd put your ball, you know, put yourself on the line and write up your best idea that's actionable right now and do a thorough analysis, uh, and show them your work. And if it's good, they'll hire you. And three, make sure they're hiring. You know, if you're just sending stuff out and people aren't hiring or looking to have analysts, uh, then you're also wasting your time. So, um, but I think if you're good and you look like you have an incredible background, uh, you should put out your best stuff. As far as trying to sound not flashy or technical, I mean, there's some basics of the business that you have to be able to speak in terms of. Cash flow and outlook and and everything else. So I'm not sure. Um, what I was saying is that they're not focused on interest rate policy and predicting the future and uh, uh, credit spreads and all that nonsense that people do. They're looking at the business and and they're very deep in how they look at the business and how they talk about the business. They're just not distracted by all the noise about the stock market. They're, they're focused on the detailed, uh, analysis of the business. Is, it was the message to take away from the 1229 call. So I think, it, you know, show them what you got is really what it comes down to. And if you get rejected, then you'll say, well, maybe I'm not as good as I thought. What do I have to improve, uh, to qualify to work at a business like this? It's a big move from the sell side to the buy side. It's a completely different mindset. It's a very tough hurdle to get over. I've seen a few people successfully do it, but it's very rare because it's a different mindset. And, you know, sell side is there for a reason. They're selling. They don't have capital at risk. Uh, and it's a different mindset than when you have your own dollars on the line and your own skin in the game and people can sniff that out. So um, uh, w- the other thing I might do is uh, show them your your own PA for the last you know handful of years and how you've done in your own biotech picks. And that, that'll speak much louder than anything else, but at the very least, um, um, you know, put together your best actionable idea right now. And if they like the way you think, then then you're going to have a job pretty quickly, um, provided they're hiring and looking to expand. Uh, this is from John. I want to thank you for the content you produce and your weekly market analysis. um, I got shook out on Alibaba near the bottom. However, the video you produced the week Bob bottomed gave me the information and clarity. I needed to reenter my position. I have since made back all my losses and then some I owe you a tremendous. Thank you. Uh Keep up the good work. It is greatly appreciated by ordinary investors such as myself. Sincerely JP. Very good. And Je- so, you know, John, moving forward, if you had done your own work, you wouldn't have needed the pep talk from uh hedge fund tips with Tom Hayes, but uh, I'm glad that you dispassionately looked at the data in the middle of the chaos, uh, and took advantage and now you're making coins. So good job. Uh, Brian, uh, what are your thoughts on BBD? Obviously fits the emerging market play. What do you think of Brazilian banks? Uh, okay. So, you know, I've got a tiny position in, stone Co., buffett's got that position just to keep an eye eye on the country but i'm not i don't really care about brazil right now i'm focused on china um you know let me take a look at this real quick i mean you're you're basically if everything goes right you're looking at you know two or three bagger if that i mean this this business has done nothing let me just see if if it's showing any signs of health or if it's just a value trap that you're gonna be bagged in forever. Uh, BBD. Okay. Uh while that's oh okay. So while this is loading, uh Ezaz says, Hi Tom. Eza's from Australia. Happy, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Will Baba give us another opportunity under $80 or it's not going to look back now? Uh, may the earnings for Q1 2023 be affected by abrupt reopening of China. And may we get an opportunity. What is your opinion? So this is someone who missed the rally, probably sold in the hole. Uh, normal human emotion. The answer is No and uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I think it's very low probability that we go back down to 80. Maybe we go into the high 90s just to shake out the people buying at 115, but I doubt it. I think it's done. Uh, market's going to look forward. It's not going to look back. No one cares about Q1 earnings. They care about Q1 2024 and 2025 earnings. So um, on the one hand, you probably missed uh, a huge move. On the other hand, uh, it's just getting started. So you know, look for a little consolidation. Be happy you get any. Uh, If you can buy it in the low 100s and and, uh, high 90s, then, you know, it's a gift from God, in my opinion. And that's the way I've always felt. So, um, Brian. Okay, so let's see BBD. Um... So, it's growing earnings. Uh, not interesting. Um, cash flow. Cash flow, it's losing a lot of cash. I mean, these you gotta do a lot of work on these type of banks because there's so many gotchas. Uh, you don't know if the loan book is good, but Let's just see here. I mean, the answer to your question is, when Brazil works, this is going to work. This is a levered play on Brazil, um, which is why we keep a tiny position in Stoneco because it just keeps my mind on it. When that starts to take off, then I need to look at other opportunities in Brazil. Um I mean, I think your downside's limited here, and I, I, I don't know that your upside is unlimited yet, but, uh, odds favor it. So I, I, I would take a flyer if you're comfortable. I'm not going to, but I would if I was in your shoes and interested in it. I wouldn't expect, you know, miracles overnight, but I think as things shake out, um, you know, that, 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 that's, that, that could be a way to play it. Um, And that'll be on my list when I start to get more interested in Brazil. But for now, uh, China is where the action is. Um, Just started out as an investor. Wanted to know what sites or applications you use to help you evaluate stocks. Uh, Just a ton. I mean, um, you know, a good way to screen is go to finviz.com. You can pull up different screens. And when you start doing analysis, ticker, KeoFin, um, value line is good for some stocks just as a brief overview. Um, uh, but the most important thing is the original source documents, which is the SEC filings of the annual reports, the quarterly reports, the, uh, conference call transcripts, the live calls, the investor presentations. That's where you want to start your analysis, not secondhand nonsense interpretation. Primary source materials is where you do your own work. Uh, not influenced by other, other's noise. Um, uh, Dominic, hey Tom, I'm a relatively new investor, been a viewer here since June, love the way you approach the market. Uh was wondering if you could go over specifically what you look for in a company for you to become an investor. Keep up the great work. I mean, that's like a four-hour question. You just keep listening, you'll figure it out. I've gone into a lot of um uh, individual company analysis over the last few months. We've been doing more and more of those type of questions. So we look for a good return on invested capital. I look for, you know, some quality people look at quality. I kind of believe in entropy. I believe businesses deteriorate, uh, can deteriorate over time. High quality businesses have a lower propensity to do it. So when I purchase a, a high quality business, I'm still I still operate under the assumption that Anthropy could kick in. So I want a large enough margin of safety. It's, it's, you know, come down so much due to a temporary impairment. And the trick is determining which major impairments are temporary and which major impairments are permanent. If it's temporary, then you can get a sense of what trend will be when they come out of that short-term impairment. If it's permanent, then you'll get zero. So, um, Uh, I want a high quality business that has a long history of earnings power that I can see how they operate through cycles, is cash generative, and that has fallen on temporary hard times. And the beauty of public markets is when businesses fall on temporary hard times, the markdown is manic. It's like, you know, you could have a 15% hit in earnings and the stock could be down 75%. And that spread is where I make all my money, is when people get emotional and there's a short-term reason for the impairment, and they think what has happened in the recent near term is going to p- persist forever. And I take the other side of the trade, and that's where I make all my money. So uh hope that helps. Jason, um, uh, is your new client minimum still $5 million? Yes. Um, okay, so this is an investor inquiry. Uh, Tom. Okay, Okay, so Drew is asking about uh, Ask Me Anything questions. He's throwing out a few uh, UK names to try to find out what our latest uh, expected multibagger is. Uh, We're not going to do that yet because, number one, we're not done with all of our work. If you remember with Cooper Standard, uh, we did hint around it for a few weeks before we disclosed it. Um, and you still would have gotten in the fives. And I think you even had a chance to buy it below that, um, uh, for some time before it's now up over $14, some 200% later. So, um, so no, our, our, our clients come first, they get every, all the research done. They get, we have a very strong starter position, but it's not going to be leaned into until we've completed comprehensive research. The reason we have a very strong starter position is one, we want exposure to the UK and number two, Um, we, you know, we knew there was a catalyst coming up this week. So it was a good starter, but, uh, not enough to lean in, in Cooper standard size, uh, because our work's not done. So there'll be other opportunities. And if there aren't, we've got enough that, you know, we're, we're happy. And, uh, there's, there's always new opportunities. Um, uh, okay. Let's see. Drew. Okay. But Drew will figure it out. He's a smart guy. I've given enough hints. So you know what you're doing there, Drew. Drew's been with us for a while, and uh, and uh, I know he'll figure it out. And I think he did on the last one as well and, and made some coin with that. Uh, Phillips says, please send investment routine. Okay, that's another inquiry. Brian says, um, I followed you for about a year now and wanted to thank you for your insightfulness on the stock market. Found an interesting quote in The Intelligent Investor. Never buy a stock immediately after a substantial rise or sell one after a substantial drop. Okay, Gregory, thanks for that. Gregory says, what is your thought on Taiwan Semiconductor? We covered this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, We liked it at lower levels, Uh, but we – let's see. I think this one's okay here too. Uh, I think it's still trading in single digit multiple, you know, I hate chasing up. I was really interested in these. If you go back to the podcast, semiconductors, we were talking about in late October, they went a little lower and then they recovered all the way. Now it's breaking out. I mean, hopefully you get a pullback on something like this, but, uh, you know, there's still some intels and everything else you can get a hold of. Uh, just be patient. I think for this one, you know, you've missed almost 50% move like there's there are new opportunities. Do I like it? Yeah, I think it's I think it's, I think it's fine. I like it better in October, November when we were talking about semiconductors on the call. Uh, Gregory, what is your thought on Nova Nordisk? Uh, Yeah. Nova Nordisk is exciting because of the Wagovi, but uh, everyone knows that. So let's see. I think that news is priced in. Um, For me, I looked at this briefly. Uh, you know, it's moved from 95 to 140. It could go a lot more if if that drug works. I mean, I've seen a lot of these weight loss drugs throughout the years, you know, and then a, you know, a year and a half later, people have heart problems and all this stuff. But um, maybe this time will be different, which would be a great thing for obesity and everything else. Look, it looks like it's breaking out. I, I don't buy things. I mean, this stock is up 600% in seven years. Not for me. I mean, I want to buy it when they're down, like in 2016 when it was down 50% and try to figure out why is this down so much? Is the future of this business temporarily impaired or permanent? What does the business look like three to five year out? And my guess is they were talking about in the investor meetings back then that we're working on a weight loss drug. Uh, I would imagine it was that far in development and some of the other things they have. So th- this is not for me. I don't, I don't buy things up 600%. Just never have, never will. And by the way, you know, Monster Beverage could go up another, you know, went up another 10,000%. So, I mean, I would look at this. I mean, even they're growing earnings. There's no question about it. Uh, but but you know, it's it's earning four dollars. It's trading it's trading at twenty five times. I think a lot of the good news is priced in here. I mean, if you really love it, wait for a pullback. But it, that's just not not our not my game. And That's not to say you won't make money. It's just not our game. Uh, Aaron says, Tom, quick question on return on invested capital. What time frame do you look look for? Well, it's calculated on an annual basis, but I look I want to see at least five to ten years of consistent uh, solid performance in, in, uh, in um, generating a return on invested capital. Uh, Jason says, "Hey, Tom, do you agree with the general points Tryan makes about Disney in this deck starting at slide 13?" So an activist is in the stock, you know we've been bullish on Disney. you know no one everyone was laughing at 85. they say, "I'll buy it at 75 I said, you do that." And uh now everyone wants it. It's up at a hundred. Um, but it's a double in our view. So there were better uses of, better use of the capital for the multi-baggers that we have, and everything we have in our top positions are basically multi-baggers, and this is just a double. So um strong case for change at Disney. Yeah, look, it's just Nelson complaining about the different things. I think Iger's gonna do a good job. Uh, they're going to get the cost down on the um, on the streaming. The parks are doing exceptionally well, but I know Nelson's son uh, Harlan. I mean, they're smart guys. You, you, it's it's great news if you're in Disney stock. Not only do you have Dan Loeb, who's an activist, you have um, Nelson Peltz, who's one of the best activists. He's a constructive ass, activist. I had dinner at, uh, I was lucky enough to eat at Rayo's, by the way, on Monday, uh, always been on my, my list. And the guy whose table it was, cause you can only get in if you have a table, if you just Google Rayo's, you'll know the story. It was, it was just absolutely amazing. Uh, but he has an activist fund and, uh, we were talking about it. So I, I think this is just a home run. So, uh, we love, we like Disney at 85. We like it at 100 with two activists in it. Whatever they're gonna, they're gonna say what they're gonna say to get a seat on the board and make sure they get uh change happening quickly and um and that's a good thing. So yeah, if you own shares, vote for Nelson Peltz. Um let me try in. Okay, so here's a guy, uh, Brian, who uh I want to thank you for your high quality content, uh, especially around the psychology of the market and holding during the gut wrenching short-term volatility when most panics sell. Um, so basically saying he bought a ton of baba in the hole on, um, five X leverage and made a ton of money. Thank you. know, thank you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, I guarantee if you continue at that level of leverage, you will be toast. Uh, it will be, maybe it won't be overnight, but sooner or later you will be toast. So number one, congratulations on the amazing trade and making triple digits on Alibaba with five times leverage. Uh, uh, but you are on, you know, the one thing we cover in this, um, podcast consistently is before we go into any position, our number one question is, if this goes to zero, will they take me out on a stretcher? And that's that's screening criteria number one. So that affects our sizing. Um, leverage, it's very simple. Warren Buffett puts it best. Um, uh, certainly when it comes to equities. Obviously with real estate, I've got a friend who's built an unbelievable business, a billion dollars of equity in, in uh, commercial properties. And uh, they just never lever more than 50%. Uh, so they keep a margin of safety, and that's asset back, but in terms of equities um, Warren Buffett says it best smart people don't need it and uh and dumb people and dumb people shouldn't use it so uh if you're smart, which I think you are brian, you don't need it. stay in the game because you 'll make more money compounding than trying to uh force um unnatural returns overnight um, you'll live another day and you'll compound you know unlevered. If you're compounding at 30, you know you're doubling your money every two, two, two and a half years, and just, just you know whatever your starting account is, if it's a million, just double it eight times and see where you're being. And if you and if you've got dreams beyond that, then um, you know, then uh, you know two yachts is not enough, two private planes is not enough. Then I can't help you, but uh, congratulations and beware is my message to you. Um, but uh, I'm uh, appreciative that you sent the note. Appreciative that the content's been helpful, but my message is no leverage, uh, you know, or leverage as as very, very light as possible. Uh, This is cowboy stuff and cowboys, uh, you know, sooner or later uh, when the when the tide goes out, you see who's swimming naked. So uh, with that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in this week. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place uh, off to an incredible, uh, (laughs) incredible incredible 11 12 days um uh and uh we'll see you next week in the meantime make it a great one bye for now